0: This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are
1: we going to
2: stand with God? Come what may. If the word of God says it, I believe it.
0: that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thanks so much for joining us again. Do you know what I find really hypocritical and really ironic? What I find really hypocritical and ironic is Democrats who spend all of their time trying to marginalize Christians or call them deplorables or put them down because they're not sufficiently on board with homosexuality and a redefinition of marriage or get after them because they don't care about women's bodies. But when an election rolls around, all of a sudden they want to be really religious. And not just really religious, they want to out-religious Anybody on the GOP side. They call themselves religious. I'm more religious. I'm a person of faith. Wow, impressive. Here's the latest example of this the newly picked. Vice presidential candidate on the Democrat ticket, Senator Kamala Harris, is now being touted for bringing Baptist and interfaith roots to the Democratic ticket. I'm like, really? You're going to make Kamala Harris the poster child for religiosity? It was just a few weeks ago that CNN was touting Joe Biden as this amazing man of faith. He's just so strong in his Catholic faith, and this man can woo the evangelicals. They really think we're dumb, don't they? They really do think we're dumb and we can't figure out that pretty much everything these people are trying to shove down the throats of the American people is antithetical to Christianity. They really think we have short-term memories when, in fact, we don't. Here's part of what AP reported about Kamala Harris. The 55-year-old first-term Democratic senator whose name means lotus in Sanskrit identifies as a Baptist as an adult and brought another faith into her life in 2014 when she married Douglas Emhoff, a Jewish attorney. Their wedding featured the breaking of a glass, a Jewish tradition, and Harris's stepchildren gave her a nickname that rhymes with her name that recalls the Yiddish term Mamala. Mamala, I guess it would be. Then it goes on to say that she went to the Church of God as a child and she had some inkling with Hinduism. Like, who is this impressing? Okay, so she's just a smorgasbord of associations of various religions and traditions. So what? So what? So are a bunch of interfaith confused people in the main line going to go nuts for her? It would seem that they were already in that camp. That's where the main line is. They're not exactly conservatives. They're not exactly proud Republicans. So not really sure what this is all about, pushing the religiosity angle but I bet we're going to get a lot more of this. Remember when I was telling you during the primaries that Cory Booker was being touted as the progressive religious guy? Probably one of the nastiest people to ever serve in Congress, but oh, he's religious. He's religious. Again, it goes back to progressives non-understanding of the Bible. All they know is Matthew 25 out of context and the Sermon on the Mount out of context. That's all they have. They don't know what else to say. And Joe Biden wandering around talking about being his brother's keeper. Does he even understand the context of that, of that line in the word of God? Probably not. But one of the things that has come up about Kamala Harris is very important. And that was what happened just a few years ago when she was trying to go after this man. You'll remember him. You'll remember this man. Uh, Judicial nominees have had a hard time with some of these progressives. But Senator Kamala Harris and Senator Macy Hirono of Hawaii, both Democrats, went after this judge, this judicial nominee, and they were giving him a hard time because he had an association with the Knights of Columbus. And then the Senate ended up approving a resolution that rebuked both of these women for questioning them, uh, questioning them about their membership in the Knights of Columbus, which is a Catholic fraternal service organization. Harris described them as an all-male society and asked if this man, Brian Bescher, Uh, if if he actually knew that the Knights opposed a woman's right to choose and were against marriage equality. See, it all comes down to that abortion and homosexuality. And this was the report back then from EWTN. Listen to cut one.
2: The high-profile California Democrat is known for her rigorous questioning of President Trump's nominees. She recently asked a judicial candidate about his membership in the Knights of Columbus and whether it would prevent him from being an impartial judge. Now, those questions have sparked charges of anti-Catholic discrimination. Republican Senator Ben Sass responded with a resolution approved unanimously by the Senate.
3: If a senator has a problem with this resolution, you're probably in the wrong line of work. Because this is what America is. This is a super basic point. No religious tests. If someone has a problem with this resolution, what other parts of the Constitution are you against? Freedom of the press?
0: Well, that's interesting. Now, what about the issue of abortion? There's a lot we could say about Biden and Harris being the most radical pro-abortion ticket probably ever. Here was Kamala Harris. This is from a Time Magazine clip in 2019, talking about her plans Uh, For states that would try to restrict abortion if she were put into the office of the presidency, listen to what she says. This is cut two.
3: For any state that passes a law that violates the Constitution, and in particular Roe v. Wade, our Department of Justice will review that law to determine if it is compliant with Roe v. Wade and the Constitution, and if it is not, that law will not go into effect. That's called preclearance. Because the reality is that while we still have, as I said earlier, these state legislatures, legislators who are outdated and out of touch, mostly men who are telling women what to do with their bodies, then there needs to be accountability and consequence. But you know, I'll go further. You may have seen, I, I questioned Brett Kavanaugh when I was a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee and asked him as a nominee to serve on the United States Supreme Court, could he think of any law that tells a man what to do with his body? And the answer was uh, uh, no. The reality of it is, this is still a fundamental issue of justice for women in America. Women have been given the responsibility to perpetuate the human species, our bodies were created to do that. And it does not give any other person the right to tell a woman what to do with that body. It is her body. It is her right. It is her decision.
0: Yeah, that's the kind of logic you want in the White House. Well, let's go over this. When you were pressing Brett Kavanaugh about any laws that were pertain to a man's body versus a woman's body, let me just remind you about basic biology, Senator Harris, because you're talking about two bodies when you're talking about a woman being pregnant. And the reason that it is about a woman is because men don't have wombs. Now, I know you don't really get into that because you've bought into all of this radical sexual ideology in which men can be women and women can be men. And there are 58 sexes and genders and all this nonsense. You're believing this insane fiction, but the rest of us still have our heads on straight. So try a little logic there. And Joe Biden, the man of faith, the man who really is a strong, 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 strong Catholic, had this to say. I'm going back to the debate that he did in 2012, the vice presidential debate, because this is where he talked about his views on abortion. Tell me how religious you think this is. Cut three.
1: With regard to abortion, I accept my church's position on abortion as a what we call de fide doctrine. Life begins at conception. That's the church's judgment. I accept it in my personal life. But I refuse to impose it on equally devout Christians and Muslims and Jews. And uh, I just refuse to impose that on others, unlike my friend here, the, the congressman. Uh, I, uh, I do not believe that, um, uh, that we have a right to tell other people that women, they they can't control their body. It's a decision between them and their doctor. In my view, in the Supreme Court, I'm not going to interfere with that.
0: Well, there's Joe Biden for you, the man of faith. I accept what my church teaches. Clearly you don't. Because you weren't meant to merely agree with your church when you're there on Sunday. You're meant to carry it out in your life throughout the week. And it's just a dodge. We all know it's a dodge. We all know what these people are doing. And to top that off, the Human Rights Campaign, the biggest homosexual rights lobby group on earth, says that Senator Kamala Harris is nothing short of an exceptional choice for vice president. The president of HRC, Alfonso David, said that it's clear the Biden-Harris ticket marks our nation's most pro-equality ticket in history. That means most committed to the sexual radicals agenda to get the Equality Act passed and criminalize Christianity. But these are people of faith. Just remember that. People of faith, 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 faith. Which faith and faith in whom? That matters. We're going to come back. When we do, we're going to talk to the attorney of Pastor Rob McCoy, the man who's bravely standing up for freedom of religion in California at God Speak Calvary Chapel. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
1: Hi, this is Kirk Cameron, and I am honored to be partnering with the Ministry of Preborn to help moms choose life.
0: Actor Kirk Cameron supports Preborn.
1: My four oldest children were adopted. That is because of caring and compassionate people who help those young mothers choose life. My wife is an adopted child, and her birth mother chose life for her. If it weren't for those caring individuals that help those young moms value the sacredness of life, I wouldn't have my wife, I wouldn't have my four adopted children, and the two natural-born children that we have wouldn't exist either. My whole family is here because of people that are Involved with ministries like Preborn.
0: Preborn funds pregnancy centers across the nation so they can offer free ultrasounds to women in crisis pregnancies. Ultrasound is a game changer because when abortion-minded women actually see their babies in their wombs for themselves, 80% of the time, they choose life. Would you please join us at Janet Mefford today to support the Ministry of Preborn? For $140, you can provide 5 free ultrasounds to women in crisis pregnancies. One ultrasound is just $28 and every gift helps. To donate, please call now 855-402-BABY. That's 855 855-402- or there's a banner to click at janetmefford.com. All gifts are tax deductible and 100% of your gift goes directly towards saving babies. You can get involved and you can help save a life for a gift of $140. Five free ultrasounds will be offered to women in crisis pregnancies. Please call now with your gift 855-402-BABY That's 855-402-BABY baby 855-402-2229 or there's a banner to click at janetmefford.com
1: you're listening to janet mefford today and now here's janet
0: welcome back these are really incredible days for the pastors and churches who are willing to stand up for their religious freedom as we told you yesterday, Ventura County, California Superior Court Judge Vincent O'Neill Jr. has now granted the request of county officials for a hearing to hold Pastor Rob McCoy of Godspeak Calvary Chapel in contempt for holding in-person worship services in violation of pandemic restrictions. Thankfully, Judge O'Neill did not affirm the government's request to have the sheriff's office take necessary action to actually close down the church. But how disturbing is it that the government even wants to do that? We're going to talk about it all now with Pastor mccoy's attorney robert tyler general partner at tyler and Burch, and president of its legal nonprofit advocates for faith and freedom robert so good to have you here thanks for being with us thank
2: you good to be with you as well
0: yes well this week's hearing i know came after pastor mccoy held these church services this past weekend even though another judge had issued this restraining order against GodSpeak last week what are your thoughts on judge o'neill's split decision this week
2: Well, I'm thankful for the decision he made. Uh, You know, he effectively denied uh, their request yesterday and um, uh, agreed. He said, I have to balance the First Amendment. And he said their request to close the, uh, you know, order the sheriff to close the doors of the church, effectively, (laughs) uh, was, quote, a step too far. Yeah. And uh, I think that was a, uh, it was great to finally have a judge, particularly Uh, California, who is willing to stop and say, wait a minute, there is some value to our First Amendment, and we need to figure out what that is before we go any further.
0: Yeah, for sure. Did you think that was kind of an over-the-top request on the part of the county? I mean, that's awfully aggressive and really kind of a warning shot, it would seem, to other churches who want to do the same thing.
2: Well, um, it's to be expected, frankly. Is it over-the-top? Yes. Uh, You know, the data just doesn't support... Uh, what the governor's order has, uh, has demanded, and that is you know, to prevent all uh, churches from meeting indoors. And it, it's beyond reason because the risk, for example, to anybody who's reasonably healthy, anybody who does not have underlying health conditions, anybody who's under really about 80 years old, uh, they can go to church, and if they caught COVID-19 somehow, because they were sitting next to somebody who was singing, uh, the risk of them dying is literally a fraction of a fraction of a percent. Yeah. It is, basically, it's 0.0049%. It's so remote. And so uh, the idea that we are making public policy uh, to restrict everyone's liberties... Uh, rather than to encourage individuals who might have underlying health conditions to stay home and to protect themselves. We're shutting down the entire economy. Uh, these, it's a big political mess, and that's really, I believe, what it comes down to. And our religious liberties are being tossed to the wind, thanks to these Democrats who are running these states that uh, are just seeking to... Uh, make it tough, I think, I'm probably President Trump in the long run.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, they keep citing this Jacobson v. Massachusetts decision as some sort of, you know, reason why this is reasonable for them many, many months after the pandemic hit to keep people shut down, keep churches shut down while you have leftist protesters in the streets. The double standard is one problem, but what is your thought on this Jacobson decision continually being cited as an excuse? As last week, I know the judge had cited this in the temporary restraining order decision. What of that? What is your take on that particular decision being used here?
2: Sure. Uh, that case uh, is really uh, not on point because back then, first of all, uh, the the First Amendment had not even yet been interpreted to apply to the states, okay? So... At the time, the argument that was being raised was a Fifth Amendment challenge—life, liberty, due process—and the challenge related to um, a an argument that an individual says, "I shouldn't have to be vaccinated. We shouldn't. There should be no forced vaccinations." And it, it, in that case, which I think is still a horrible decision, it basically said, "No, you don't have a constitutional right." to not be vaccinated under these circumstances and that case was you know was not good for for anybody Um, however it was before the 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 first amendment was being was applied and it was frankly not even argued and in here we're talking about the free exercise of religion that has clearly been interpreted to apply to the states it's not just something that applies to federal government action. It applies to state action as well. And so we have a whole different argument. So Jacobson is really not on point, and it's it's different.
0: Yeah, it is. Now, what of this decision by the judge pertaining to holding Pastor McCoy in contempt? Now, I know another hearing will be held, but what is your take on the pastor himself being potentially held in contempt for going ahead with his worship services?
2: You know, um, as I... Uh, as I wrote in uh, our press release, actually, I said, you know, this has a ring of uh, uh, communist inquisition. Yeah. It, it, it is one of these things where, you know, they come and the county wants to tear down the church effectively. I mean, it's like in China, how we see over there where if there's a building with a cross on it, the Chinese government's coming in saying, uh, we want, we're, we're going to take that cross down, and or we're going to tear the building down. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's crazy that here we are, we might have these buildings, and, and it's effectively somewhat the same. And they're saying, well, you can't use your building, and we as the government can prevent you from using your building. Hmm. And, uh, and then on top of it, we'll take the pastor, and we can sanction him. We can punish him criminally with fines or even put him in jail. Now, that is not the America... I know, right. especially in light of the fact that we're not dealing with some situation where, um, you know, you have, as as they told us here in California, 25 million people would be infected and two million people will die. That that's that was the basis of right. the uh, initial orders. That's not that's not happened.
0: Right. Right. Well, and, and at what point do you go to the First Amendment and say people have the right to freedom of religion, but they also have the right, it would seem, to assembly, peaceable assembly? Because when you look at what people know already about COVID-19, we're about you know five, six months into this pandemic, people can stay home if they want to, if they're vulnerable. But for those who are healthy or those who might have already recovered from COVID-19, what is the justification this many months in for having such draconian shutdowns? Downs, when, as you said, the death rate is really minuscule?
2: You know, it is there is no justification. I have pointed out I pointed out yesterday to the court that the likelihood of dying from COVID-19, even if you're over 65 years old, even if you are have underlying health conditions, the likelihood of dying from COVID-19 is still less than the likelihood of dying from a knee replacement. One in 200 people die from a knee replacement. Are we going to ban elective surgeries now? Because there are many elective surgeries that have far greater mortality rates than this COVID infection. And so the truth has to be be presented, has to get out there. And we're asking for a trial on the merits. We're asking to be able to present expert witnesses who are going to come in and are gonna argue Uh, and and present the truth, the data, the facts, to show that there's no justification for this shutdown to the degree that they've done so. And there's far less restrictive means that can be be used to try to prevent this uh, spread of COVID-19. So uh, I I think that uh, uh, there's no justification, and and Lord willing, we're going to get that opportunity.
0: Good. That's good. Did you imagine that will be something you can do at the hearing regarding the contempt charge or, or subsequent hearings, or how do you think the process will go?
2: Yeah, it won't be at the contempt hearing. Uh, on the 28th, uh, there's an argument with regard to a preliminary injunction. So the county sought a preliminary injunction to basically extend their temporary restraining order, and they want it to be extended indefinitely. And uh that is where we are going to be presenting uh, declarations with expert witnesses, and I'm going to be asking that the court allow verbal testimony so that I can cross-examine their expert witnesses, so that I can cross-examine the director of public health for the county of Ventura, and even the state of California, should it go there. I believe that uh, we should have the right to cross-examine these people who are making these rules and... Uh, show the error in their, in their beliefs, the error, I shouldn't even say their beliefs. I don't think they even believe it. I think they're just doing it for political reasons.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I mean, this is such an important battle. Now, Pastor McCoy, as I understand it, has said he'll continue to keep the church open. Is that right?
2: I don't know what he has said because I have not, I have not listened to his interviews.
0: Sure, yeah. Well, it, it'll be interesting to see. He's been very, very strong up to this point, and you know, from the time that he resigned from the city council, saying, "I'm going forward mm-hmm. with this," he's been very strong on this whole issue. You know, talk a little bit, if you would, in this last minute here, Robert. What do people need to understand about the importance of this battle in asserting church's constitutional rights?
2: Well, uh, the First Amendment right to the free exercise of religion is the first liberty. It is the liberty that our founding fathers looked at and said, "This is the first and most important liberty that we have." There are many different types of liberties, right? <laughs> um, and and this is the first and pr- uh, of primary importance. Yet, uh, this is the one that is you know significantly being attacked. Uh, today uh, under these uh, COVID-19 restrictions. And, you know, I I was in China uh, about three years ago. Uh, I met with the underground church. I I came to have a clear understanding of what was going on over there. They weren't so concerned about whether somebody uh, worshipped. What they really didn't like is is people coming together who had common ideas And most people who are Christians are not in favor of the communist regime. And so they don't like them coming together and they did everything they could to prevent them from coming together. And I'm afraid that's the same type of thing we're seeing here in California and the rest of the country today.
0: Well, we'll keep a close eye on what's been going on. Robert Tyler, attorney for Pastor Rob McCoy. Thank you so much, Robert, for being with us. We really appreciate your work. And thanks again for being here.
2: God bless you. Thank you.
0: All right. You too. We'll be right back on Janet Meffer today. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I love that verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. This is what God tells us. It's great news, but the problem is many of us find it difficult to articulate or even to fully understand what it really means to be in Christ, and that can impact our understanding of who we are as Christians. That's why Ephesians chapters 1 through 3 are so encouraging, and my next guest is going to help us understand what it means to be in Christ. Joining me now, Chip Ingram, teaching pastor and CEO of Living on the Edge. We're going to talk about his book, Discover Your True Self, How to Silence the Lies of Your Past and Actually Experience Who God Says You Are. That says it all, Chip. It's great to have you here. How are you? Oh, thanks,
1: Janet. It's great to be with you.
0: Thank you. How much confusion do you think Christians have about what it means to be in Christ?
1: I don't mean this as critically as it might sound, but I think in general, we're pretty clueless. I think it's unconscious that I think there's this, here's all the things I need to do and I need to pray so long, read the Bible so long, do activities one, two, and three. And I think we live for God's approval functionally rather than from God's approval and his love. And this, this was a complete life changer for uh, me and my wife and as a result, a lot of other people. I I fit that first category for many, many, many years.
0: Wow. What do you think was the source of your own confusion about it and how have you worked your way through it as you've especially as you preach through Ephesians?
1: Yeah, I you know, I think coming to grips with you know, it's amazing how um theology really is important. And you know, we all have these mirrors and we have mirrors of family of origin that say you're loved and accepted or you belong if you do these certain things or if you perform a certain way and you know, our parents are human. We're human. And I think we have, um, you know, a culture that screams, you know, advertisement is built around, I'm going to tell you something that you are not okay until you have whiter teeth or drive this kind of car or your hair is that color or you get to go to that concert or your kid's get into that school or, you know, or you're very athletic. So I think we, we live in a world of these mirrors that tell us, to be acceptable, to be valued, to be loved, here's all the conditions. And then the crazy thing is they change. Yes. And, and so I think that's what makes it so challenging. And then God gives us the mirror of his word. And in Ephesians, it says every spiritual blessing. He says, before you did anything, I wanted you. I loved you. And I adopted you into my family with all the rights and all the privileges. I lavish my love on you. I paid a big price for you. I redeemed you, so you're really valuable. I, I sealed you with my spirit. You're safe. And I think it's taking those kind of big theological words that are true and then translating them to those huge emotional needs of how do you overcome, you know, rejection and fear and shame and guilt, which are, are really just the symptoms of, um, i don 't measure up i 'm not doing well i 'm unacceptable, so um, th- that has been studying that, and then for me, it was trying hard to believe that doesn 't work. You have to renew your mind and in the book, uh, you know as you know, I talk about uh, these cards where we would write out my wife and I did the lies that we believed you know you 're only acceptable if people like you you 're only acceptable if you perform well, work harder than other people are successful, you know blah blah blah. Right. And um, so it was at a point of crisis with us where we were very committed to the Lord. We were in seminary at the time, and we're having major, major marriage problems because we both came from alcoholic families. And we just had a very godly pastor-counselor who helped us realize how we saw ourselves was the world's view as opposed to what God says about us. And we, 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 those little cards for two years, if you can imagine, we sat on the couch before I went to work and we read them out loud and then put them on our bedstand. stand. And uh, we begin over time to really believe that we're loved.
0: That's neat. Yeah, we're Yeah.
1: The shame of our past doesn't have to define us.
0: Well, and that's encouraging for people because you've walked through all of that. So anybody who is struggling with it now can understand you're a pastor who's speaking from experience. It isn't just theology coming forward from Ephesians 1 through 3, kind of on an intellectual level, but you've walked this road. And, you know, it's interesting when you're talking about that, Chip, it strikes me that when people come with this premise that I'm only good enough dot, 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 if I do this, or if I look like this, or what have you. Jesus is the one who said, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I was thinking of that verse, Luke five thirty two, when you were saying that God is not like man. And how much is that driven home when we're reading that wonderful section of Ephesians, that God does not look upon you the way that man looks upon you. And that's a game changer, I would think, for a lot of people.
1: I think it is. And I think it's, it's one of those where I do believe many, 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 many people and those listening to you and me right now intellectually believe that. But if you looked at their behavior, when I looked at my behavior, I I believed all that quote intellectually, but I think it wasn't until I paired it with the kind of behaviors that were tripping us up. And so what I did in the book was I kind of like played spiritual jeopardy. You know, that's sort of one of my favorite things I like to watch, Yeah. and Jeopardy too. is, you know, they give you the answer. What's the question? Yeah. And so the answer is that you're wanted. What's the question? How do you overcome rejection? The answer is you are valuable, infinitely valuable. Well, what, what's what's the question? How do I overcome feeling insignificant and worthless? You know, the answer is is that you're secure. You're safe. You're in Christ. Uh, The question is, uh, how do I overcome the fears that dominate my life? And so uh, I did a short chapter on rejection and insignificance and fear and shame and guilt and purposelessness to set up, this is where we're living. And then I flipped it and said, okay, now, this is what God says is the answer to that. And then at the end of every chapter, I took those same cards that we reviewed, and I put them in a way where people could actually practically start the process. Not just, I don't want them to read the book and go, I'm going to try really hard to believe what's true. I wanted to give them a tool where, you know something, I'm going to, as a man thinks in his heart, so you become. The mindset on the flesh is death, the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. I wanted people to start a journey, um, to renew their mind and begin to believe this. I watched my wife go from someone who was beautiful, smart, and godly, but looked in the mirror and thought she was completely unlovable and a disaster to someone who was like a flower blooming over the years. Um, she had the worst self-concept of anyone I'd ever met and, um, it is, it is amazing what can happen. Then I saw her sit with my daughter during those formative years and go through these cards and these truths. So, uh, you know, our heart is really just to help people believe what's already true of us. Uh, it's so liberating.
0: Well, it is. And that's really where the rubber meets the road is when you can internalize the truth that you already know in your head. And you had mentioned, Chip, this uh, section that you have in the book on the lie of rejection and the truth that you are wanted. And you already referenced this at the the beginning parts of Ephesians chapter one, where, uh, you know, Paul talks about he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. How do you go from reading this to believing it to internalizing it?
1: Uh, well, I would say you know, is, is um, the book is my best shot at how to do that. But in, in, in brief, um, getting honest enough with yourself where you recognize I'm believing some lies yeah. because we all have great levels of denial and, and kind of looking at, wow, so I wonder what's behind me pleasing people. I, I, I wonder why I feel so nervous and anxious around people that are powerful, or I wonder why I feel so compulsive that I have to, my house has to be perfect or everything has to be perfect. Or, I mean, we all have enough issues, right, that I mean, at least with some close friends or our, our mate or at least our kids have told us, that we know. And so I think the first thing is pausing and saying, okay, there's lies behind that. There's, there's lies behind my addictions, my struggles, my fears, my anxiety. And then you identify what those are. And, and then I think the next thing is to say, okay, I, Lord, you have now permission to work in my life. The energy that we spend trying to cover up things, uh, trying to mask where we struggle, is inordinate. And God, okay, God, I give you permission. Now, I, I want to um, – I recognize the lie – and then then what I want to do is I want to focus and renew my mind on the truth
0: I love it hang on just a moment chip Ingram with us his book is discover your true self we'll be coming back on Janet Meffert today right after this are you in need of a health care program you're in luck as a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month. And there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there. The Ministry of Preborn is the largest provider of free heartbeats for moms in crisis in the USA. When a mother chooses life, preborn centers are there to help with the baby's needs, counseling, and so much more free of charge. When I heard her heartbeat, I decided to keep her. And now my daughter's about to be three. I don't know where my life would be without her. The Ministry of Preborn is the largest nationwide provider of free ultrasounds for expectant moms in crisis. There's just something about seeing your own baby's heartbeat that moves a mom's heart toward life like nothing else. Will you please help support Preborn in the cause for life? One ultrasound is just $28, or five ultrasounds are $140. To donate, just call 855-402-BABY. That's 855 855- 402 Four o two twenty two twenty nine. 402 2229 All gifts are tax deductible. That's 855-402-BABY. 855-402-2229. Or there's a pre-born banner to click at JanetMefford.com.
1: You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet.
0: Welcome back. Great to have you with us and great to have with us Chip Ingram, teaching pastor and CEO of Living on the Edge. His book is called Discover Your True Self, How to Silence the Lies of Your Past and Actually Experience Who God Says You Are. Who are we in Christ Jesus? Ephesians 1 through 3 is the passage that Chip uses to base this book on. And and what a great section of scripture we're talking about. Chip, we were talking about one of the things that you mentioned in the book, the lie of rejection that people tend to believe, but we know from God's word that we are wanted. And you've said, you really have to recognize if you're in that position that there are lies behind believing that you have to figure out what they are and then make the move to say, Lord, work in my life. What kind of difference does it make? Have you seen like in your own marriage, as you were discussing, when you really do grasp the truth that God loves you and God wants you and that God has expressed this to you, what difference does that end up making when you really do grasp that truth?
1: What I discovered when I began to realize that I'm already loved is my workaholism, my (laughs) people-pleasing. Those things that, I mean, I would hear the phone ring as a young pastor, and I would jump up like, you know, I've got to solve this right now. And uh, my wife was a withdrawer, and it was like, you know, why should I even try that? Or no one would ever want me, or I don't have anything significant to say. And as she began to renew her mind, Then she began to realize, well, wait a second. God has uniquely made me. He's going to use the hurt and even the pains in my past. I'm a trophy of His grace. (laughs) And so what I I saw was a woman who bloomed, who actually ended up teaching other women the things that she was learning. And uh, we put some of these things on cards that uh, we just can't keep them in stock because what we find is people are just so desperate when it comes to this area, but they don't have a practical way. And renewing your mind, you know, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. It doesn't say by trying super hard and, you know, telling yourself you'll never do that again. It's by the renewing of your mind and uh, as we renewed our minds, then you experience the good, acceptable, perfect will of God. So it's been a journey. I don't want people to hear, you know, there's a magic pill, or I'm going to review a few cards and read a few chapters, and overnight everything changes. But uh, I've just, I've counseled so many people over the years, and as you, it, it, in other words, it, you go into training. you know, it's like, just, you've met, never on a marathon, you know, you walk, and then you jog. And then while wow, you, you you run a mile, and, and, and then little by little, and I will tell you. Um it's just been the most liberating, exciting thing to see in our life and in the people around us.
0: Very cool. That's really neat. And and that's great to hear because it really gives people hope. Some other lies that you talk about, Chip, the lie of insignificance, the lie of fear. Stopping on this one, the lie of fear. There, There's a lot of fear, especially right now. And there's a lot of fear of people and circumstances and the future and all of this. I think many people feel very insecure What do you have to say to those people about the need to understand that you are secure as a Christian?
1: Well, you know, God says that I've not given you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love. And it's interesting, sound mind, or some translations will say self-discipline, because it's a pretty hard word to translate, but it's it's a mind where your emotions are not dictating how you respond to things. Right. And in Ephesians one, he says that he has sealed us with his spirit as a down payment for our future hope. In other words, God says, "All that I've promised to you, here's the guarantee: My spirit sealed you for me. You're safe with me. And nothing and no one can pull you out of my hands. Not height, nor depth, nor length, nor principalities or powers. Nothing can separate you from my love." And I think when we begin to believe that, not just acknowledge that, well, that's probably true for someone somewhere. And that's true not because you do something or if you do something. That's true because you're united with Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, Janet, maybe this is real helpful. Often when I teach um, on uh, being united with Christ, people can't get it. So what, what I do, I put a big, like, fish tank of water, and then I take a big, heavy bolt that people can see, and I... I, I say I drop it in the water and it sinks to the bottom and and I ask them you know hey why did it sink and everyone knows oh gravity it's really heavy and then I take a little wooden block and I and I put it on the water and it floats and I said well, why does that float and everyone goes oh well obviously it's it's of a different nature it's a different substance hmm. then I take a big thick rubber band and I take a, another bolt and I wrap it around the bolt and the piece of wood and then I put it in this big fish thing and they you know, put the camera up real close and it floats And then I say to people, so why is it floating? And they go, well, because it's attached to the wood. Hmm. In other words, what people, if they could grasp, when he says we've died with Christ, we've been raised with Christ, what it means is the properties and the nature of Jesus are now yours. God sees you at the lens through his righteousness, and what's true of him is now true of you. And when we can grasp, that's who you are. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to prove it. You don't, uh, You are safe. Uh, that changes everything. And this book is about helping people grasp that. And what God says is, when you're a part of my family, uh, you can choose to fear, but you don't have to. I mean, you can choose to respond to people's rejection because, you know, you didn't grow up on the right side of the neighborhood, or you're a different color than someone else, or because you think differently than them. You, you can choose to be afraid. But how can you be afraid when you're secure in my arms? I made you. I love you just the way you are. And we all talk to ourselves thousands of times a day. It's changing what we say to ourselves and informing that with what the Spirit says about us. And I just, it changes. Yeah. Uh, that's how real spiritual growth occurs.
0: That's true. I love that illustration. I think that's perfect. and And there's something to seeing it like that that really helps you wrap your mind around it. I think that's a tremendous way of illustrating that point. You know, something else that you discuss in the book, Chip, is the lie of shame but also the lie of guilt. Now, a lot of Christians might immediately say, but we are guilty, that's why we need Christ. Yet there is something that we sometimes experience in the way of false guilt. This is the passage that you're talking about in Ephesians 2, one through 10, with that famous, you know, Awana verse that I memorized when I was about seven years old. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of work so that no one may boast. Talk about this lie of guilt, though. There is a sense in which we absolutely are guilty and then we are in Christ, we are no longer guilty. How do you work through that passage and explain that concept to people?
1: Well, after chapter one, he's told us, this is who you are in Christ. And then the middle of chapter one, he prays that they could actually grasp and understand all that's true of them. And, And then he makes this big contrast And then he says, but don't forget where you came from. You know, this is who you were apart from Christ. You were dead in your sins, hostile to God, etc. And then there's this huge contrast. But God, who is rich in mercy and grace and love, he forgave, he rescued. And, And then he talked about, well, how do you receive that? And it's the verse that you just quoted that leads to your future. For you are his Workmanship. Literally, the word is you're his poem. You're his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus unto literally a good work that he's prepared for you from the foundations of the earth. And so I think we understand that we were justly guilty before God, and when we trust Christ, God has removed and covered our guilt by the work of Christ. His Spirit comes into our life. We're transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. We become His children. And so our legal guilt before God is removed, and not that's half of it. The second half is then the very righteousness of Christ is is imputed to us. And again, I think people have, you know, these are big theological words, but in a practical way, if and and, and please, you know, if if people could visualize, you know, maybe a big computer screen on the sky in heaven, and their name comes up on the computer screen, and on the left side is their name and under it every sin they've ever done. And on the right side, you know, there's a column, and it's Jesus and all of his righteousness. When you trusted Christ... God went over with the cursor, and he pushed delete. All your sins are removed. And then he said, click and drag, and he pulled the very righteousness of Jesus <laughs> over to your side, and then lifted the the little uh, cursor, and then shoo, his righteousness. And now he says, this is who you really are. So when you mess up, because we still choose to do wrong things, you do have real guilt, and you need restored fellowship. So you say, Lord, oh... Boy, when I said that, I was, you know, boy, that was all about me. Or when I lied just to cover up what I did. And the Holy Spirit makes that clear. And so, yes, we confess that. But what I'm talking about in the book is some people feel guilty because they didn't do what everyone wanted them to do. Some people feel guilty because it's not getting to know God, but how many chapters do I need to read? And if I only read two chapters instead of four chapters, I must be a bad person. There's all kind of guilt that is rooted not in who you actually are.
0: That is so beautiful, and it's so well said, and you can read more about it in Chip Ingram's book, Discover Your True Self. So good to have you on the program, Chip. Keep up the good work, and God bless you.
1: Thanks so very much.
0: You're welcome. God bless you. And thank you for joining us on Janet Meffer today. We will see you next time.